Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. I am Chad Simpson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gian Lemmy. And our mission here is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. Now, Gian, just curious, um, when we think about the three dimensions of coaching, you know, level, level one being the physical, level two being the, um, the mental or emotional, and the third being the heart or the spirit, just which dimension do you, th- do you think you're the strongest in? Um, right now in my career, I feel like I'm in the second dimension. I've mastered that pretty well. Um, at first, when I first started, was the first dimension. You know, just worried about X's and O's and strategy and technique. Um, and then I saw the, the need to go past that, um, to go a little deeper. Doesn't mean that I'm not seeking to be a 3D dimension or, you know, a 3D coach, um, but I'm much more comfortable and much more apt at the second dimension right now dabbing into that third dimension that's really really good and i think we all have that challenge of how do we get into that that third dimension and and reach the heart of our athletes and today's guest carrie o'neill gives a great uh, answer to to do that carrie's on staff with fca um, strong leader, really influential with the three-dimensional. And coach, if you're not familiar with that, you, you got to dive in and, and get a course and sign up right now. But um, today on the interview, a few of the highlights were he really gets into what's the difference between being a good coach and a great coach. And you might be surprised at, at how he differentiates that. He gives four powerful questions to, to dive deeper into your coaching and um, he gets into so much more and we cannot wait for you to hear it. Let's get into it right now. Carrie O'Neill, it's uh, so good to have you here on the Christian Coach Podcast. We're, we're thankful for your time and, and I just see, uh, see God's providence. And even the, the day that I added you on Twitter, um, you were traveling to my hometown of Danville, Illinois. So I feel uh, everything happens for a reason, and we're able to connect um, through that. And uh, just want to ask you here right off the start on what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? You know, that that is a great question that I have asked some uh, um, Christian coaches. And I said, are you a Christian coach? And they kind of look at me crazy. I said, I know you're a Christian. I know you're a coach. Does that make you a Christian coach? You know, one coach, this was many years ago. He said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either, uh, but we should try to find out what that means. And so the conclusion I've come to of where people land with that is a Christian coach is a moral coach. And I'm not saying that's what it should be, but I think that's where most people land. They don't maybe curse. They don't cheat. Um, and yet is, you know, it's hard for anybody to differentiate between a moral coach and a Christian coach. What does it mean to coach Christianly? Um, and, you know, I think, I think of this quote by Martin Luther, the Christian shoemaker does his duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. And I think there is this pressure for coaches um, internally and externally. Um, a lot of times you hear it from the pulpit. Um, I'm not a big fan of this kind of message. Oh, you're teaching them soccer, but are you giving them Jesus? And then the coach just kind of 
insert some awkward devotional or prayer and he's uncomfortable and all the players are uncomfortable, you know, and because he's, he's not Christian if he doesn't do that. And um, I just think for me, a Christian coach is one who really balances greatness with goodness. And, um, you know, we want to skip the first dimension of the physicality of sport. You, you know, you have to be good in the X's and O's of sport to be good. And if you can't coach there, you can't coach because sport is physical. And I think when we say, well, it doesn't matter how, you know, what you're teaching them in basketball, are you, you know, giving them Jesus? We would never tell a restaurant owner to ignore the type of food they're serving. And it just gets, I think it gets fuzzy with coaches teaching a sport that somehow sport at best is neutral. At worst, you know, it's, it's somehow evil because it's in a physical realm and a spiritual realm is really what matters. And I just think there's a lot of misinformation there. And I would say be great in that first dimension, but make sure that that greatness fuels goodness and not badness because the, the headlines we read in the sports page um, are stories of where, you know, coaches and athletes have gotten off track and they can show incredible discipline um, on the court, on the field, but just have the wheels come off you know, uh, outside of their sport. So, um, you know, we can unpack that more, but I think really differentiating between greatness and goodness is so, so powerful. Can you, can you go deeper into what do you mean by greatness and goodness? Yeah. You know, um, so when I get a group of coaches together for like a three-dimensional coaching workshop, I'll ask them, you know, why do we want our kids or grandkids to play sport? Because sports builds and they answer what? What would character. you answer? Character. Character. And then I say, all right, what what character traits does sport build? And, you know, popcorn, they start throwing these things out. And typically it is um, goal setting, um, work ethic, um, discipline, perseverance, um, all these character traits that sports build. And then, you know, I kind of give them the bad news that I can be a hardworking, teamworking, uh, disciplined, persevering criminal or terrorist. That, you know, all of those qualities are not moral attributes, they're social attributes. And they are they're, they're fuel, they're not compass. They help me get where I'm going. But the question is, where am I going? And so I can use those, those character traits, those skills to be a womanizer um, or to be a wonderful person who impacts people um, you know, in, in a powerful, positive way. And so to say, all right, then what are, what are the goodness attributes and things um, like love and generosity um, 
sacrifice, you know, for others. Those things don't automatically show up in sport. I think we have to coach them. So we coach um, those greatness um, attributes because you do have to have them. It's not either or. Um, you know, you do need to be hardworking and team working and persevering. Um, but you know, if you have great, if you have goodness without greatness, you have impotence. There's just no power. Um, oh, that team is really lousy, uh, but they're really nice kids. You know, that no coach wants to hear that of their team, right? And then the other is you have greatness without goodness and you have um it's diabolical it's ugly and and those are some of the stories you know we we read about but what we're really shooting for is greatness plus goodness and that is beauty and when we see beauty in sport um it's such an incredible thing and i think we just have to come to grips that as a society, we're more enamored with greatness than we are goodness. And again, nothing wrong with greatness. We just have to use it to fuel the good and not the bad, or we end up with ugly instead of beauty. And um, we do see both. Now, a little bit about your story. Um, just reading out that you came to Christ uh, through FCA, through a coach. And your website says that you were a walk-on, a full scholarship D1 athlete, and a full scholarship NAI athlete. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah. You know, um, Coach Myers uh, was one of my my high school coaches and uh, in Denison, Iowa. And um, he did something so simple yet so profound. He invited me to an FCA meeting. And I'm sure there were posters up, but he personally one-on-one -on -one, invited me to come. And the influence of a coach was at work because a coach invited me, I was going to go. And I did. And, and he invited me to an FCA weekend of champions. And I went to that. And that's really where I, I learned about this um, relationship with Christ, uh, not just a religion, but, but a relationship and how would I personally respond to him. And, um, Coach Myers himself came to Christ through FCA uh, while at my high school. Uh, so I saw the before and after in him. And he was, uh, I was so naive when it came to recruiting. I thought anytime I got a letter from a school, they wanted me and they wanted me on full scholarship. And uh, nobody, you know, uh, had shared with me that, no, they, they need to recruit 15 if they have three scholarships, because not all 15 are going to say yes. And you might not be first on their list. So um, I ended up, actually, Coach Myers gave me great advice as, as the signing day came closer. And there was an NAI school, really strong, top 10 team, NAI Division One in the nation uh, at the time, Briarcliff College, which um, back in 87, I went there in 85, uh, back in 87, when the U.S. with Michael Jordan played Panama in the Pan-American Games, um, I think on Panama's team, um, they had nine of their 12 players had all gone to Briarcliff in Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> and wow. so, you know, a lot of strong international players. I went there, um, 
played two years, but really had a desire to study um, ministry. And um, in the back of my mind, had this dream to play Division One. I. I didn't even start at this NAI school. I played behind an older, stronger player. And um, this the coach was kind of old school. He played two guards, two forwards, and a center, and probably should have played alongside this this guy some. But only one of us could be in the game at a time because we were both listed as centers. And um, so I transferred down to Oral Roberts University and, and walked on. They were out of scholarships. I just kind of begged my way on the team. And this coach who had coached with Lefty Drizel a lot of years at Maryland, Coach Pritchett, saw me playing pickup ball. And um, I had a lot of respect for him because of his resume for recruiting. He had initially signed Moses Malone at Maryland um, before he jumped straight to the to the pro ranks. but. Um, he saw me play and said, Hey, you remind me of Tommy McMillan, who he had coached, I think. And, um, he said, uh, you can play. We'll have us, we'll have a locker, uh, ready for you. And it was really amazing for me to see, to go into this, you know, division one locker room and see my name and all the swag in there compared to nothing, you know, at the NAI school, kind of small budget. Um, but you know, God really, allow that dream to come true for me. Um, so yeah, I've tasted, I've tasted it all from being a walk-on, um, being a full scholarship NAI, being full scholarship division one, um, which I, I, I was then my last two years to play um, and got to see kind of all sides of it. What did you learn from, from your time there at Oral Roberts and then traveling, playing some, um, professional basketball overseas. What did you learn to prepare yourself and to go on? And it looked like you were a character coach for the Houston Rockets, but um, what did you learn from those experiences? Well, there's a, a, a great um, quote that for coaches, uh, I think it was originally from Frosty Westerling, Westerling and who, who said, um, the big time is where you're at. And, um, you know, to not be looking at the next thing, but to really immerse yourself where you are. And, um, you know, I can see the power of, of each step along the way. And I would say the greatest, you know, lesson learned looking back. Um, and I'm not one of these guys who looks back with great regret, um, and pain and all, you know, like I'm Uncle Rico and uh, we should have won state, you know. Mm -hmm. But I will say this it wasn't until probably the last 10 years, maybe even more recent, um, that I read Dr. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, which really exposed how much I have a fixed mindset and really always have. And I'm just now starting to gain a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and if I look back on that, I would definitely change my goals from starting or playing time or some of these things to, to growth, to getting better and embracing some of those painful moments, knowing that um, they're growing me. You know, when I played for Coach Naki at Briarcliff, uh, we would once a week, twice a week, maybe um, at practice, he would say, all right, get a partner and play one-on-one. -on -one. And this guy who played ahead of me, JP, 
was bigger, stronger, better. And, um, I was skinny, you know, I was, I was, uh, six, nine weighed less than 200 when I came in and, um, he was a bruiser and just kind of country strong. And I didn't enjoy playing him because I, I kind of knew <laughs> I was going to lose. Um, now at age 53, my mindset would be, I'm going straight for him. I want to play him every time because I want to play the best because I'm trying to get better. And if he said, I'm going to beat you, not as bad as you did last time. And you better enjoy this because it's fixing to change. Uh, because I, I, I would, I, I adopted much more of a growth uh, mindset. So when I look back, especially, especially in my, my um, sports career, and in particular basketball, because um, that's all I did after high school, I definitely regret um, not having more of that growth mindset. And I've seen how a fixed mindset and insecurity kind of go hand in hand. And I think a lot of my insecurity stemmed from, uh, you know, as I share with coaches, I'm a, I'm a broken kid from a broken home. And I'm on your team. You know, I, 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 uh, it, I, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. Um, you didn't create me, but I'm on your team. And, uh, and I have some teammates like me. I'm not, I'm not lazy. I'll run through a wall for you. And I'm certainly not a bad kid. Um, I'm just hurting. Will you coach the heart behind the jersey? Because if you do, if you get my heart, you get everything. You get my mind and my body. Um, and it's it's really shocking to me that there are some coaches who cannot humble themselves to that point of seeing the need to coach the heart. And their attitude is take a hike. You know, I don't have time to be a psychologist or babysitter, you know, suck it up, buttercup, um, <laughs> you know, kind of that old school mindset, my way or the highway. And, you know, I've said to groups of coaches, how good are you that you can let six, nine who can run and shoot <laughs> toddle off? What are you, Mike Krzyzewski? How stacked is your team? You know, but to say there, there, there are some issues in that second and third dimension of the mind and the heart that will absolutely uh, tap into the great potential of that athlete's physicality. I graduated in 2010 and was a, a PE teacher for three years. And 2011-2012, uh, I was able to hear Jeff Duke come to Champaign, Illinois and present on 3D coaching. So I was really thankful at the start of my career to um, sit through uh, an amazing seminar. But can you share just a little bit about 3D coaching? As I've heard you already talk about the uh, second and third dimension a little bit, but can you explain that? Yeah, you know, you mentioned Jeff Duke, who's now Dr. Jeff Duke. Um, but, you know, he was a, a young assistant coach for Bobby Bowden at Florida State. And he just asked himself one day the question, why do some athletes reach their potential and others do not? And uh, this journey and ended up going into 10 years of research and a PhD. And now he leads our nation's largest university, um, University of Central Florida, where you can major in coaching for undergraduate or graduate degree. And 
the conclusion he came to and the and the birth of 3D coaching was this only those who are coached holistically, only the athletes who are coached in all three dimensions of the body, the mind, and the spirit reach their potential while others do not. And for coaches, it's this to not coach in all three dimensions is by definition to be an incomplete coach and to not maximize the potential of your athletes. Well, what coach wants to be called an incomplete coach? Every coach is looking for an edge. Um, here's the edge, but rather than just look at it pragmatically, we we coach this way because it's it's the it's the best way to coach. It's the way we want our sons and daughters to be coached. And guess what? We're coaching somebody else's sons and daughters who are worthy of being coached in a uh, holistic, life-giving way. The same. So when I heard Jeff Duke speak and, you know, just picturing you there, um, I just remember the light bulbs going off because it gave language. 3D coaching has given language to what many of us intuitively knew to be true from our own sports experiences. So um, one of the things I do coach is when I get guys together and the I don't know how the Lord laid this on my heart, but 2017, I believe, when the NCAA Final Four um, was in Phoenix, I went and I had an opportunity to present 3D coaching there. And early in the seminar, I said, hey, before you hear from me, I want to hear from you. Partner up. You only get 30 seconds each. Share with each other who was your favorite coach and why. And the room just fills with noise. I love that. That's why these guys are in coaching because coaches impacted their lives in such a uh, substantive way. And then I get feedback from coaches. All right, who wants to share with the group? Who was your favorite coach and why? And all the things they share. Oh, Coach Simpson, because, man, he loved us. He told you he loved you? Well, sometimes, but he showed it. How did he show you? And they, oh, he's always asking about how things were at home and could he give us a ride and, you know, all these kind of things, all the relational aspects. And so I've done this literally with thousands now, and I have yet to hear anybody mention a first dimension element. Who's your favorite coach and why? Coach Peterson, because he, man, he was a master at the wing T offense. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That may be true. But that's not why 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, you remember this guy and he brings a smile to your face and it warms your heart because he's impacted your life in that way. It's in that second and third dimension, namely the relational piece. And so what I do with coaches in that regard is uh, you, you hit the rewind button back to your favorite coach in the past. Now I say, all right, 20 years from now, I come back and do one of these. Um, and who's sitting in the chairs you're sitting in? It's the kids you're coaching right now. And the reason I know that is 20 years ago, you were playing and here you are a coach. And I ask this question, who is your favorite coach and why? And they say your name. What's the why they give? Again, it stands to reason just based on all the reps. It won't be any of the stuff in that first dimension where we spend all our time. Um, yes, you have to coach there. You have to be good there to be good. Um, you have to be great there to be great. Um, you know, because sport is physical and yet 
Um, the power, of course, is um, you have that opportunity to to change that life, to be that memory uh, for that person. And so, um, and then the final thing I do, so you hit the rewind to who your favorite coach was 20 years from now, the kids you're currently coaching. And then finally, all the way to the end is the funeral. You know, picture this, this gathering is your funeral and all the people sitting in those chairs where you guys are sitting are all the athletes you've ever coached. And one by one, they're going to come up to this microphone and they're going to speak at your funeral. What do you want to hear them say? It's quiet at that moment. It's pretty somber. Write it down. That's legacy. What do you want to hear them say? And then as the author Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. How can you start coaching today in such a way that they will say that about you? Um, I don't think anyone really wants to say um, their tombstone to have their coaching record on there. I mean, you know, obviously it means something to us, but that's not the real legacy. Um, and so looking at, looking at that and really um, getting into the why is the, is the biggest thing. I've had a, blast uh trying to implement some of the things in the second dimension uh here here at point just with uh, motivation confidence team building and something i've i've wrestled with is finding finding how to get into that third dimension but if a coach comes to you uh for breakfast and hey i believe you the third dimension i want to be a 3d coach how do i get to that third dimension as a coach yeah, you know, they're listed in, in 3D, the components of the third dimension, and it's some heavy stuff. You know, one of the things is identity. And I think it's really good to bring up because here is, here is a lie that we buy into, and that is this. Sport is not what I do. It's who I am. I don't, I don't just play basketball. I am a basketball player. And during COVID, as I've shared with coaches, you know, the coaching matrix where you have these four quadrants where everything you do as a coach fits into one of these four quadrants. You have individual and group task and you have individual and group relational. Well, for many of us, COVID has seen that half of that equation is gone. You don't have the task. You don't have the ability to practice and train. Uh, so the task is gone. You're left with the relational. But for an estimated 85% of coaches who only coach in the first dimension, which means if I went to one of your practices or a week or a month or a whole season, virtually everything you do with intention would fall into one of the eight, eight uh, elements of the first dimension of the physical uh, part of sport. And so put it another way, you can't coach the physical because of COVID and you won't coach the relational. So you don't coach. Hey, tell me about you, Joe. I'm a coach. No, you're not. There's no football. And since you are, 
it is what it is who you are not just what you do you know you know what you are joe you're nothing you're a zero no i coach about no you don't there is no basketball what a loser we have to say these things out loud just to expose that lie you know the the story is told of um of bill russell when he was playing for the celtics and a woman who obviously was not a sports fan comes up to him um, and says, are you a basketball player? And his response is so powerful. He said, no, ma'am, basketball is what I do, not who I am. And I think Bill Russell has had you know, a great life. He's a classy guy. And I think it's because he was one of these guys who figured out early um, to not buy into this performance-based identity that when things go well, when I perform well, I'm a great guy and I have a lot of value. And when we lose and I play poorly, I lack value. Well, that's silly. No, I don't. My value is not based in my performance, um, but we have to talk about it. We have to have these conversations, as I said, to really expose that lie. You mentioned identity and uh, I think that's, you know, I've wrestled with that a lot where, you know, if you're winning, you feel good about yourself. And if you're losing, you feel bad about yourself. And that identity is so closely tied to the wins and losses. But what do you think Jesus would say about winning? Or what, what does God's word say about success in sports? Yeah, you know, what I, what I tell coaches is this. Um, first of all, you know, to, to address the elephant in the room, uh, can I coach this way and still win? And I say, absolutely. Maybe the bigger question is, can you not coach this way and still win? Because all research shows this is the key to being successful. You know, John Wooden was a three-dimensional coach before we knew to call him that. Um, and he didn't have any problem winning. And to hear former athletes say, you know, they played for him uh, for four years and, you know, knew him until he died at age 99 and they never heard him raise his voice. What? You know, uh, and amazing. Not to say you can't raise your voice and, and coach and be a 3D coach, but um, I think it's a little better if we shout encouragement and whisper criticism, but uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's another matter. And so what I tell coaches is, can winning be important? Yes, it should be. You're judged by that. You know, don't apologize for that. You know, the coach who says, well, I don't care if I win a game. I just want to give them Jesus. Well, that's great if you want to work at the gas station because you're not going to be coaching very long if you don't care if you win. Um, any more than a teacher not wanting their students to get good test scores. You know, it is what you were hired to do. Um, I, can winning be important? Yes, and it should be. I would say this. It can even be prominent. It just can't be preeminent. When it becomes preeminent, it sits on the throne, and we bow down to whatever sits on the throne. And when we enthrone winning, then we do whatever is necessary to win. And for those coaches at the final four, I shared this. If I ask you a moral question and your answer is yes, but you've already bowed down. 
And this is not a swipe at college coaches, quite the contrary. I want to acknowledge the incredible pressure that that many of you coaches are under. And we can't really take that away, but we have to have some internal pressure to push out against that outside pressure or you'll cave in. It will be too great. And so the pressure is there. What tools do you have to push back against that pressure? And again, to say um, winning has its place, it's just not number one because I will continually um, make compromises in order for winning to happen because there are some ways, obviously, um, and these are the things that we read about and you know, NCAA sanctions against a school because there were little compromises all in an effort to, to win, you know, to get that star player or, or, or whatever. And so, yes, I am not one of these guys who says, forget about winning, um, make it, uh, make it a goal. Um, but I think part of that too is, you know, as you have with your players and yourself, um, balance goals and growth because you can accomplish your goals and not really have personal growth. But if personal growth is your goal, you'll probably get growth and you'll accomplish your goals. Um, and, and same with your athletes, you know, set some do goals and some be goals. Who do you want to be? Um, and that's, I think, where you tap into that that growth mindset. If I admit that sports and winning is preeminent in my life right now, what would you tell that coach? What's the next step? Like, what do I need to do right now or this week to get it off the top of the throne of my heart? Yeah, you know, probably big picture. I love there's a book called Mindsight, and there's four key questions in there. And Coach Ehrman Joe Ehrman um, paraphrases a little bit for the sake of coaching. And there, there are four huge questions. And um, I know you're probably familiar with them, coach. But number one is this, why do I coach? Most coaches haven't asked that question. Or when they do, it's rather a selfish kind of answer. Well, I play basketball. And um, then I got a certain age. I kind of lost a step. I love the game. And the way to stay in it was to coach. Well, that's all about me. That's not about the kids I'm coaching. Oh, I love the smell of cut grass on a Friday night and getting in a big yellow dog and going on a road trip, whatever. <laughs> um, hanging out with my fellow coaches. So why do I coach is huge. Do you have your why? Um, and ultimately that why is your foundational purpose for coaching. And, um, you know, we, we teach how to do that in three-dimensional coaching, how to actually write your transformational purpose statement. Um, so number one is why do I coach? Number two, why do I coach the way I coach? Um, the easiest answer, you, we tend to coach the way we were coached, good or bad. And I usually say to a group of coaches, how many of y'all played tackle football? And three-fourths of the men will raise their hand. How many of y'all were ever yanked around by your face mask by a coach? And about three-fourths of the men <laughs> who played, 25% um, didn't have that privilege and experience and whatnot. But 
um, not to throw our previous coaches under the bus, but there are a lot of ways I was coached that I would never coach your son that way. I'd never coach your grandson that way. So I have to be intentional to not repeat that. So why do I coach? Number two, why do I coach the way I coach? This is a heavy one. What does it feel like to be coached by me? What does it feel like to be coached by me? When we have um, a huge number, I'm trying to remember if it's 57%, I'd have to dig my notes out. Um, the percentage of kids quitting sport by the ninth grade, they're leaving sport in the droves. And the truth is this, kids flock to where they feel loved and valued. You can't get a kid to quit that sport when they feel loved and valued. Um, but almost everybody who quits says some version of this. It just, just wasn't fun anymore. Well, it's not supposed to be fun. It's work. We're going to work. You know, it's a grind. We're drilling. No, grinding is for corn. You're from Illinois. You know that. And drills are for the dentist's office. Sport is to be played. Uh, you know, uh, sport fits in this bigger circle of play. Play is marked by joy and wonder. We do this activity for the for the sheer joy of doing that activity itself uh, because it's fun. And then uh, we have games, which are just play with rules or boundaries. And then comes sport, a smaller circle in that. And that's where we add this little spice called competition. And it should be a spice, but it's become the main course. And competition is not bad. It's just life draining. Whereas play is life giving. You don't need any recovery from play, but you do need recovery from competition. And I could count on a closed fist, the number of kids who are staying after practice these days, they need a break. And they're so overscheduled with academics and other things. And so what does it feel like to be coached by me? I'll tell you what it felt like to be coached by the guy you said was your favorite coach. Felt great. And how motivated were you off the charts? How bought into the team? You know what? It's your dream to coach a, kid, a team full of kids like you were playing for that coach. Guess what? He helped create you. You know, how can you do the same? So why do I coach? Why do I coach the way I coach? Um, how does it feel to be coached by me? And then the final one is what measure of success will I use? How will I define and measure success? And here's the key. The answer to number one is the answer to number four. Why do I coach? You know, for Coach Coach Ehrman, it's this. I coach bo to help boys become men of empathy and integrity who will love, be responsible, and change the world for good. How does he know? What is his value uh, measure of success if he's actually producing boys who become men? So when he was coaching at Gilman School, they would say, hey, what's the team look like this year? I won't know for 30 or 40 years. What? I have no idea what kind of men these boys will be are going to be employers and employees and husbands and dads. Um, and so why do I coach? 
you, most coaches start with the what, they rush to the how, they never bother with the why. But really to be a three-dimensional coach, you start with the why and you let it color and shape and be a governor and a filter for your what and your how. And you know your success is fulfilling your purpose. Um, that why statement, and if you get it into a short sentence so it's memorable and you can easily repeat it and you can share it at a parent meeting, when you start, this is my why for coaching. Um, it will refer back. You'll it'll be something that will be a measuring stick for you. And then I think it's you know somewhat intuitive. We will. Uh, I know I'll be a success if my why is fulfilled. So that's that's the ultimate measure. Carrie, this chat has been unbelievable. Um, I have a page full of notes, so I'm I'm thankful to have been able to pick your brain and. Thankful to, to show this, but I have one more question. Um, just as you talked about Carol Dweck and uh, reading in the past five or 10 years, uh, having this growth mindset, I'm just curious, how are you growing uh, yourself as a, as a leader, as a, as a family man? Yeah, I think um, trying to read and reading stuff that is inspiring, but also challenging, um, you know, as I've developed more of a, a growth mindset, I am for the first time ever, actually, I'll actually ask people for critical feedback um, so I can grow. That would be something I never would have wanted in the past. Just tell me what I'm doing right. Um, and even something like public speaking, you know, you don't want it. And so sometimes I'll say, like, if I speak at an event, hey, that was really great. Occasionally, after saying thank you, I will say, can you share one thing that would have made it better? And again, that's so foreign from my whole life uh, up to recent. Um, but, you know, having that growth mindset and, um, you know, knowing who I am, staying in that lane of strengths, uh, but seeking to grow in that. It's not about being um better than others in a category it's about being the best version of myself and not comparing myself to other people um that's part of the challenge i think with social media of course there's plenty of opportunities to do that and it leads to some um maybe unhealthy things where um occasionally maybe i'm prideful because i see i measure up better than others but that's pretty rare typically it is geez everybody's got it going on but me these guys have their stuff together. I'll never read as much as that guy or be as smart as that guy or as good looking or have the number of followers he has, uh, she has. So um, uh, reading and, and seeking, you know, having a couple people close to you who really, um, who won't be afraid to tell you you're messing up when you're messing up. That's really good. Thank you for sharing. Um, is there any way that we can be praying for you today? Any challenges you guys, you guys are facing there? Um, I'll say specifically for me, um, I'm kind of waiting on the Lord to open up something, um, kind of for my focus in ministry to kind of be more along these lines of coaching coaches and, um, coaching others to coach coaches. And it, it hasn't, um, unveiled itself yet. But I'm uh, I'm patiently waiting, and um, uh, 
So probably for patience, for discernment, and then just open doors that God's will would be, you know, be fulfilled. Well, let's, uh, let's talk to the father here. Awesome. Lord, Lord, we are thankful, um, thankful just for this time, for the work that you're doing in Cary. And um, we just pray for all the coaches listening to that, that they'll take this information and apply it. And we just lift up Cary right now that you would uh, just guide him and, and open a, a door and give him patience, give him discernment as he, he has a, a skill and a gift to, to coach the coaches. And uh, we're just excited to see how you continue to work in and through him. We pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Chad, I want to read back that Martin Luther quote um, that Carrie shared with us right in the beginning of the, the interview. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. That's just so powerful. I wish I was that good with words. Um, another thing that stood out to me was in college, I want to ask you, did you ever play with wonder and joy? Is that the quote that he had? Yeah, he talked a lot about just the attitude of playing sports and that joy and wonder. And I definitely was playing with more stress and, and pressure, I think, as an athlete. But I'm really appreciative of Kerry bringing, bringing those thoughts. And uh, the other quote I, I loved was, uh, winning should be prominent, but it's not preeminent. And I think I, I wrestle with that tug of war. Um, but I think he said that very well. He talked about do goals versus be goals. He shared about his growth mindset as of late from Carol Dweck's book, receiving feedback as he speaks, reading a lot. Um, there was just so much good within that. And I'm really thankful for Carrie and the work that he's doing with FCA and 3D coaching. Um, we will drop his, his Twitter handle in the show notes and you guys can check that out. And uh, coach, just remember the mission field is right where you're at.